Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ted, and it's my uh, privilege to uh, speak this morning. And uh, thank you, JJ, for uh, sharing your uh, Sunday with me to be able to speak. So uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure you're all aware of that. And Memorial Day is about honoring sacrifice. And uh, there are those who were willing to sacrifice for us in our country and and give above and beyond. And so uh, this is a weekend where we can uh, think about that. And so I encourage you to do that, uh, uh, how to live, how they lived outwardly, and how we, in fact, can live outwardly uh, for the benefit of a larger community and uh, Remember the cost involved in that and the cost that we are called to uh, give as we live outwardly also. And that's, we're going to be talking about that some uh, today. And so we also had uh, someone from next door over the Dollar Tree uh, let us know that their husband was in a pretty serious accident, accident and his name is Arnell. And they have asked us to pray this morning. So uh, let's do that. We just thank you, Father, for uh, knowing and caring not only about us as a community, the bridge, but also each of us individually. And so we bring ourselves to you as we bring uh, ourselves as a community to you. And thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for giving us voices to sing, for giving us time to gather. Uh, for giving us uh, hearts that care. And we do lift up our nail to you, Father, and we just pray that you do a a work there. Uh, uh, I don't know any of the details, but you know all of them. And so I give each of those to you and pray that you would work in a mighty way. Jesus, I thank you for making a way for us to be able to come and and, uh, know the Father. Jesus, I thank you for sending your spirit so that now we're not orphans, spiritual orphans, but we, uh, as Jesus followers, actually have you in the midst of us, Holy Spirit, in the very depths of who we are. And you supernaturally work from that place. And I'm asking that from that place you'd supernaturally work in my heart and life, that I might be able to speak well. I, I pray that you'd help each of us to hear what you'd have us to hear. Even if there are words that I don't speak, that, that you would uh, bring that message to each of us. And that we'd be willing participants in the journey that you want to take us on today. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Do you know today's Pentecost Sunday? Pentecost Sunday is 50 days after uh, the Hebrew feast of the Passover. And Pentecost was uh, a feast. They also called it the Feast of Weeks. It was around uh, their whole uh, farming schedule, but it also was a celebration of God speaking and giving the law. And so once a year, they would gather and have this great big feast. Uh, 
But as we have been talking about in our study of the first of us, it was on Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, that the Holy Spirit, 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, that he sent the Holy Spirit. And that, friends, changed everything. It changes everything for the church that it, it did then, and it does now for us. On that first day, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 new believers became part of the church. That must have been a pretty chaotic event. There were 120 in the upper room praying, and then in one day they added 3,000. The Holy Spirit came and made it possible for, for they as a person and as a people and as a community to be transformed. And J.J. has been these past weeks teaching on that transformation that happened, the rhythms that were adopted, um, those things that are still impacting us today or should be. So we've been in Acts 2, and uh, J.J. said uh, last week that it was the end of the series, and a new series is starting next week, and so uh, it's not quite the end of the series because I'm going to hang out a little bit talking about the first of us. They devoted themselves, it tells us in Acts 2, to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. And in fact, they devoted themselves to one another. And as J.J. taught last week, this was all possible because of the coming of the Holy Spirit and because of God's grace. And J.J., thank you last week for those words on grace. You know, you can't think enough about God's grace, uh, being an object of God's grace. God treating us not as we deserve, but God treating us uh, as loved ones, as beloved. I love that word beloved, as beloved ones. And uh, in fact, right now, you don't have to do it physically. I'm going to do it. Give yourself a hug <laughs> from God. God's grace is all over you. It's available to each of us, God's grace. And uh, combine God's grace, his love for us, with the empowering Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, that is transformative. It changes us. So we no longer have to live as we would live as humans. We can live as God's beloved in this world that uh, isn't always a place of love. So God's grace for us transforms us so that as he lives in us, we can impact others. So I want uh, to consider an aspect of the people, the first of us story, that uh, I believe is very important as before we dive into the new series next week. So I want to talk this morning about spirit-filled uh, generosity and simplicity, what that looks like, how it was part of the first church's story, and how it should be part of our story. 
So I'd like just to review Acts 2 verses and then Acts 4 verses. You'll see them up on the screen. First of all, in Acts 2, 44 through 45. Now, uh, this is the first time I've preached since they added the screen uh, on the back wall so I can see what you're seeing here, which is kind of neat, and what you're seeing online. Uh, I, I can see it. I didn't know if I was going to be able, with my eyes as old as they are, to see it, and I can actually see it. That's, that's good. So Acts 2, verses 44 and 45, it says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I read those verses and I go, wow. Wow. What a challenge for me. Let's go to the verses in Acts 4. Uh, Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, it says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace, there's grace, God's grace was powerfully at work in them. Now, the first of us, the early church, the people of the early church were certainly generous with one another. You see that in these verses. And this generosity is a natural result of being spirit-filled, uh, being transformed by God. This genera uh, generosity came out of God-inspired faith that led the people to be willing to sacrifice, which resulted in them living simply. And so we're going to kind of think through this today. So who's the most generous person in the world? Well, uh, to date, according to Forbes magazine, Bill Gates, the Bill Gates family, has given away at least $28 billion dollars uh, and they have a net worth of about $66 billion. Um, Warren Buffett and his foundation has given away over $18 billion, and he has a net worth of about $46 billion. Now, I don't know if those uh, worth numbers are exactly right, because the way the stock market is, that can change a lot in a single day. Uh, the list goes on. I have a question for you. Who's the most generous person here at the bridge? Well, I, I asked the treasurer for that. No, I, I really didn't. I didn't do that. I don't know. I want to talk about generosity and simplicity this morning. I read an article this week that said 81% of people surveyed reported that they considered themselves generous. 81%. Uh, the same article uh, written by a researcher that researches generosity said using time-tested parameters that the fact is only 3% of the U.S. population is really, in fact, generous. That's a big difference. 81% to 
So let's try to figure this thing out. Who is the most generous person that Jesus encountered? Now, would that person uh, rank amongst the Gates and the Buffets of the day? The fact is, in Jesus' way of thinking, the most generous people are those who you would never see their names in lights. In most cases, their identities will never be known on this side of eternity. They are the most unsuspecting and unlikely people. They can be people very much like us. What impressed Jesus was not what one gives, but what one keeps after having given. Not what one gives, but what one keeps after having given. He, he measures the magnitude of our generosity by what we have remaining. Uh, here's a principle uh, up on the screen. Generosity is not determined by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. Generosity is determined uh, not by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. And why would I say that? Well, this isn't about what Ted thinks. This is about what Jesus thinks. And so we go to the Bible, uh, Mark chapter 12. Uh, I don't have to turn to my Bible to there. I can read it on the wall. That's good. <coughs> Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. Let me read this story. You might know this story. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering, uh, offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Do you find that story challenging? I do. Jesus sat in the outer court of the temple between the court of the Gentile and the court of women. Not everyone was allowed in the inner place of the temple. And so out here, um, and Jesus had just had a heated debate with the religious leaders of the day. He came and sat opposite of where the offerings were given. Now the, the walls of that place he was looking at were were filled with receptacles, uh, 13 of them, uh, where the people gave their offerings. And they were labeled with specific purposes. Uh, there would be one for to give towards uh, the temple care and one to give towards helping those that are poor. And uh, the Old Testament law 
told the people that they needed to give because they needed to rep- recognize God's ownership and the responsibility that they are stewards of what God had entrusted to them. So as Jesus watched uh, the people, he observed the crowd putting the money in the treasury. The wealthy, the people of position, it tells us, gave large sums of money. And uh, the reason they knew that they were giving large sums of money is they made a show of it. Look at me, I'm giving large sums of money. Uh, Then came along a poor widow, and I'm sure she did not go up to the treasury in fanfare. I would think she just kind of went up quietly, hoping no, no one was watching. And uh, being very poor, uh, not having enough money really to live on, living in her pof- poverty with little hope that, that the tide of her fortune would change, she gave sacrificially. In fact, it says she gave all that she had. Now let's stop here just for a moment and consider a hypothetical scenario. Let's suppose an elderly woman whose husband died a few years ago asked for your advice. And she came to you and said, "Uh, I'm down to my last $2, and I have no more money. Uh, My cupboards are bare. The $2 is all I have to live on. Yet I feel like God has told me he wants me to put my remaining $2 in the offering. And she asked you, what do you think? What would you tell her? Well, uh, I think I would say, uh, that's very generous of you. But God gave you common sense. He knows your heart. He knows you want to give but he wants you to take care of yourself first. God knows that you need money uh, to buy food to eat, and so I'm sure God would tell you to keep your $2 and buy food that you need to survive until tomorrow because I know he wants your needs to be met. God would tell you to do the sensible thing. That's what I'd say. But what did Jesus do? Well, he did not question the poor widow's wisdom or her actions. He did not say that she should be more reasonable and sensible. Instead, he called his disciples together because this was a teachable moment. And look what he said to her in verses 43 and verses 44. And we'll get to those. Here they are. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others, and they gave, uh, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus' statement there reveals that my beliefs about money oftentimes are radically different than God's. And they actually can be diametrically opposed. 
The rich had given out of their abundance, but the poor woman gave all she had. The rich had made a big contribution, but the woman had made a big sacrifice. And Jesus gave greater respect and honor to the poor woman who gave very little by earthly standards uh, than the wealthy who gave large sums of money. Friends, never devalue your gift. Because generosity is not determined by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. So that every one of us here can be generous. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, we all can follow God's call to be generous. The, the woman only gave a few cents, but she is the model of generosity that I have to emulate. Uh, because generosity is not determined by the size of the gift, by the size of the sacrifice. So you might be sitting there and saying, okay, Ted, uh, how much should I be given to be generous? Well, let me give you an answer for that. I don't have an answer for that. Okay, I don't have an answer for that. In the Old Testament, there's an instruction that the people should give a tithe. And a tithe was 10%. It talks about that in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Malachi. Uh, A tithe, a tenth, was to be given to support the temple ministry and help those in need. And they were judged based upon their faithfulness of giving a tithe. Now, in the New Testament, and there are some differing opinions on this, in the New Testament, it seems that the tithe is not used as a standard. Instead, generosity becomes the standard. It talks about that in the book of First uh, and Second Corinthians, and also some of the other letters of Paul. Generosity. I cannot give you an equation for generosity. It would be a lot easier if I could give you an equation. But I can't give you an equation for generosity. Uh, We're instructed that we need to go to God and say, God, all this is yours. How should I be generous? Now, the early church was known for their generosity. And this was very unique amongst their population. Very unique in ancient times. In fact, Timothy Keller, who was a Presbyterian pastor in New York City, who just recently died, uh, he was one that really was influential in my life. Not that I knew him, but I read and I listened. Here's, Here's what he wrote. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money, but promiscuous with their bodies. 
And a pagan gave nobody their money. They were stingy. They held on to it. But their sexual habits, they practically gave everyone their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically no one their body. They were sexually taught to be sexually pure. And they gave practically everybody their money. So being generous with the money and possessions that God has entrusted to us, it stretches us beyond our comfort zone. Do you, any of you feel stretched right now beyond your comfort zone? I've had to live with this for a couple of weeks as I've been thinking through this, and I, I do. Um, I'm a work in progress. Anyone else a work in progress? Oh, good, I'm in a good, good place then. To live a life of generosity will likely mean radical change with regard to our attitude about money. In fact, it will demand that we are countercultural. Uh, but here's the good news being generous with our money breaks the power of money. Being generous with our money, it breaks the power of money. And there's a reason that Jesus said that you can't have both money and him as your God. There is just a tension there. And you can't have God as God, as Lord, and money as God or Lord. You just can't. And generosity, getting our heads around generosity, stepping into this place of, of discomfort and asking God, saying, God, all I have is yours. Tell me what to do with it. Uh, breaks the power of money. Instead of living life clinched, we live life with fist open. It seems to me that giving our money and our time and our abilities uh, to God and others only becomes generosity when it costs us something. It includes sacrifice. It has to include sacrifice. If we sacrifice, then that means we have to live more simply in order to sacrifice. Generosity and sacrifice and simplicity are inseparably linked together. So as we close this morning, let's talk about simplicity. Uh, this will take about 10 minutes for those of you that are looking at the clock. Um, what does simplicity look like? Here's a question to ask, and this question is up on the screen in a moment. Do I consume to live, or do I live to consume? Is the stuff I have, do I use it in order to be able to live, or do I live in order to be able to use it? That's a different posture in life. And this question is based upon the, the verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, 
which says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Hmm. That one hurts, friends. Am I content with that? No matter how much we have or how little we have, are we content with that? One of Jesus' more frightening warnings, and by the way, Jesus taught a lot about money. Uh, some say about 20% of what he taught was about money. Uh, one of Jesus' most frightening warnings to contemporary America was what he said of a rich landowner in Luke 12. And let me read that story. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. It's actually a parable that Jesus told to put across a principle. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said this, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will support, uh, store my surplus grain. Uh, that was their answer to storage units in the day. Uh, let's go to the next slide. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. God does not want us to build bigger barns to hold our stuff. He, in fact, invites us to be rich before him and have a proper view of stuff. In fact, uh, I call it the theology of enough. The theology of enough. Do I have a theology of enough? You know, uh, I'm sure all of us are different in, in what that enough looks like. Um, for me, uh, I have, you might not believe this by looking at me, but I have more than enough food. <laughs> Thank you for not laughing too hard there. Uh, most of us do have, comparatively to the world, have more than enough food. More than enough money, more than enough shelter, more than enough opportunities. But the question is, when is enough enough? Did the, the rich man in the story that Jesus told did not understand the theology of enough. He didn't know when enough was enough. So simplicity is recognizing enough and being content to live there and having the joy of asking God, where can I direct the excess? That's simplicity. Simplicity is not about how much we own, but really about what owns us. If our time and our money and our energy 
are consumed in selecting and acquiring and maintaining and cleaning and moving and improving and replacing and dusting and storing and using and showing off and talking about our possessions. Then there's little time, money, and energy left for the pursuit of God and the work of his kingdom. The more stuff that you have, the more stuff that you have to worry about. Simplicity is choosing to live on less than you have or have access to in order to give the remainder away as God would direct you. Simplicity is creating a margin in your life in order that you might more deeply meet with God and meet with others. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we are a follower of Jesus. That means that we want to look more like Jesus. And Jesus lived a simple life. He lived a simple life. His birth was in Spartan conditions, a manger. His life was free from the ties of possessions and money. He had nothing. He was born with nothing. He lived with little, and he died with nothing. And you know what? His, his simplicity was not accidental. Because you know who Jesus is? He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. He could have had anything he wanted. He could have lived any way he wanted. But he chose to live simply. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said uh, to them and to me and to us that we're not to worry about food and clothing or tomorrow because he says, I'll take care of that. He said, trust in me, have faith in me. Do any of you have problems not worrying about those things? I do. I'll be honest, I do. Um, he invites us, them and us, to live simply and to focus on the kingdom, his kingdom, and not on the stuff of the world. So simplicity must begin internally. First, we must submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, this means uh, submit fully to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, giving him everything about me. That's where it begins. We give him our plans, we give him our expectations, we give him our future, we give him our family, we give him our reputation, we give him our time, we give him our possessions. And once we assume that posture of giving God everything, we find freedom. We find freedom to live simply and generously. And then once the internal issues are taken care of, the external actions of simplicity and generosity become not a drudgery, but a joy. Um, 
something that's free. Striving after stuff and the approval of others is not no longer the focus of our life. Life, living a life of simplicity in Christ brings joy and freedom. But here's a warning, friends. Trying to live simply without Christ will become a chore. It will. It will be a set of rules that turn into legalism, which J.J. warned about last week. So I'm not going to define how much you should give, and I'm not going to define what simplicity looks like for you. I'm sorry. Uh, because that would simply breed legalism. What I'm inviting you to do is make Jesus Lord of every area of your life. And then ask him what simplicity looks like for you. And then do it. And I believe the Holy Spirit's job is to speak. That's why he came. To speak. That's what John 14 through 16 tells us. He's here to speak to us. He's alive. Amen? And he speaks. And he directs. So let's invite him to do that for us. And I have another warning for you. And that is don't judge others. Your simplicity might look one way and others might look another way. And it's not your judge, job to judge others. Uh, it's dangerous to do that. Don't become a Pharisee. Don't compare a judge. God has called us to live a simple life that revolves around his grace and his lordship in every aspect of life, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And if we have our love and commitment to Jesus as the center of everything, we'll be able to cut away the stuff of life that distracts and competes. And generosity and simplicity will help us under the power of the Holy Spirit to live freely and to pursue more fully the rule and reign of God. So may our choices enable us, with God's help, to be content, to be generous, and in simplicity, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen? And Father, this call is beyond what I can do. It's beyond what we can do. And it's what we can only do through you. I don't know, uh, maybe today God's highlighted some areas of your life as we continue in prayer that you're gripping, close-fisted, and you need to live open-handedly around. Maybe it's money, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's time, maybe it's an ability, but 
there's a striving there that's eaten you up. And I encourage you to give that away to God. Perhaps that he would, even would help you just to open up your hand with your palm upward and say, God, this thing is yours. And if he's directing you to respond in that way about anything, just do that. And my invitation, God, and perhaps it's your invitation also, is God, uh, today would you help me to live simply, to be aware of the theology of enough and respond rightly to you? And then I ask that you would do the same tomorrow for me and that you do the same the next day and the next. In Jesus' name, amen.